0: Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14. Or you can turn uh, to the YouVersion app and uh, follow along on there. It uh, should be working uh, this morning. And while you're uh, turning to 2 Timothy... Uh, we are continuing a series that we started uh, last week called how to study the Bible how to study the Bible and to uh, To do just that to study the Bible. We're going to use an acronym. and It's a really simple acronym. It's soap Soap and so last week we started with the S and soap and that is scripture and we talked about why is scripture important for our lives you know, we know it's true. We know that the word of God is true. We know that it's a real, you know, a real story that has really taken place. We know from uh, eyewitness accounts. We know from the uh, age of the manuscripts. We know all of these things. And so we know that this is true. But why is it important in our life? And we talked about the fact that scripture helps us to recognize false teaching, How do we know if something is doctrinally correct if we are not in the word? Uh, Scripture helps us to discern right from wrong. If we are being tempted with sin, how do we know what is the right thing to do? How do we know what is wrong according to God's word, according to his standards? And so uh, it helps give us discernment. Uh, The scripture, when taken and applied in our lives and, and we meditate on it, we focus on it, we dwell on it, we read it, we study it. It blesses us, and it's not a a health and wealth type of blessing. No, this is a spiritual blessing. We succeed in the things that matter, living a godly life, having a relationship with him. We're blessed spiritually. We're blessed in what matters. And then we talked about the most important blessing we get from scripture is that it leads us to Jesus and Jesus is our salvation. There is no other means of salvation. Jesus is the only one who brings us salvation. He is the way, the truth, the life. Without him, we cannot get into heaven. He is uh, the only way. And so this morning, we're moving from the S in soap to the O. And that O word is observe, observation, scripture, observation. And you see, this is important to know because the word of God, as we just said, is important. The word of God is important and uh, you know, it can help us to grow spiritually. It helps us grow closer to our father and, and, and we find salvation. It helps us to discern. It helps us to uh, know what's true and what's false and all these things are important. And it's a benefit to us to have the Word of God. But here's the thing we need to remember. While the Word of God benefits us, it was written to a particular group of people in a particular time, in a particular day and age, in particular, in particular situations. And it's important that we think about how we observe Scripture in its context because when we do so, we don't come to the Scripture with our particular worldview and say, Scripture fit what I want you to fit. No, we go to the Scripture and it builds in us a worldview, a biblical worldview. And so I think the most important thing we need to understand today is simply this. We must observe Scripture in its context and handle the Word of God correctly. We must observe Scripture in its context. And handle the word of God correctly. It's important that we understand the Bible and its context and and how it was written in the day and age it was written. And we have to understand what it says because here is the truth. So often today, that's not what happens. Let's be honest this morning, too often today the Word of God is twisted, it's manipulated, it's cherry-picked, it's taken out of context to make people feel good, to make people happy, and we cut out the things that challenge us and cut out the things that stretch us and make us think and and make us reflect. We cut those things out so we can find the things that only give us encouragement, that only give us what our ears and our hearts want to hear. And we take the word out of uh, word of God out of context. The sad truth is, is there are so many people today who are one teaching false doctrine and two believing false doctrine. Believing things they hear without understanding the word of God. They don't understand that what they hear has been picked and pulled from just to fit. And if you need proof of this this morning, our text. Is an example of why we must handle the Word of God correctly. In Second Timothy, we find what is known as one of the pastoral epistles. Tim, Paul is writing to Timothy, a young leader in the church, telling him, encouraging him, but telling him to be on guard against false teachings, against false doctrines, against false worldviews. And in this passage this morning in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul instructs Timothy on how we should deal with false teaching, how we should deal with false doctrine. And he encourages him to be on the lookout because it was something that was happening back then and it is something that is happening today. And so just as Paul was speaking to Timothy about false teachers, he's speaking to us about false teachers. And it's a thing that happens today. And so we're going to get into 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to start in verses 14 and 15. And it tells us this. It says, Keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. And so he tells them to start out by reminding God's people about these things. Keep reminding God's people about these things. And he starts by telling them, warn them, uh, warn them before God against quarreling about words. Quarreling about words. And what this means is arguing, debating, uh, carrying conversation, fighting about words that are of opinion and false doctrine. And he's saying, hey, don't quarrel about these things. They're of no value. And too often in Timothy's day, this was a thing that the church was struggling. They were finding themselves in the midst of arguments about things that just didn't matter. In First Timothy chapter 1, 3 through 3-7, Paul lays out this problem. He says, as I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus, so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer are to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or why they so confidently affirm and so Paul is telling Timothy, "Hey, don't get involved in this. Don't be a part of this quarreling about meaningless talk about things that do not matter." Romans 14:1, Paul says, "Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters." Don't dispute, don't fight, don't argue with people about false doctrines because all it does, as he says here, it's one, it's of no value it's meaningless. They're going to keep throwing it in your face, and the more you engage, the more you get involved in this, the more it's going to lead to problems, because he says here, it is of no value, and it only ruins those who listen. The Greek word here for ruins is catastrophe, and it's where we get our word catastrophe, and it carries the idea of destruction or being overthrown. And so Paul is telling Timothy, not only is quarreling meaningless, but it destroys those who choose to listen. Those who are bringing up false doctrine and getting people arguing and fighting and and debating over it. The more they listen to it, the more they take part in this. It destroys those who choose to listen to it, who choose to engage in it, who choose to be a part of it. And he's telling Timothy, don't get involved in this. Don't get involved in this. This will just lead to ruin. And he tells him, instead, you are to do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Present yourself. Present yourself. This literally means actually to stand beside. So stand beside God as one who is approved. Don't, be, don't worry about being approved in the eyes of man. Don't no, worry about being approved in the eyes of God. And be approved as a worker. A worker. Timothy, be someone who doesn't buy in to this false teaching, these silly arguments. Don't be swayed by these things. But be a man who works for the Lord and not for man. This means, in, what this literally means in the Greek, it's this idea of being a master of your craft. Be a master of your craft, one who works diligently, who works hard, who puts in the work and the effort and the time to be a worker who would be approved by God. And he says, Don't be ashamed, one who does not need to be ashamed. This word ashamed, it means embarrassed or guilty because of one's actions, characteristics, or associations. And this word ashamed is something that uh, Paul uses quite a few times, even in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Three times in 2 Timothy chapter 1, he uses this word ashamed. 2 Timothy 1.8, he says, "You so do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God." 2 Timothy 1.12, "...that is why I am suffering as I am, yet this is no cause for shame." because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. In 2 Timothy 1.16, May the Lord show mercy to the household of one Ciferous because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. And so he's telling Timothy, Timothy, you need not be ashamed. You need not be embarrassed. You need not feel uh, guilty or embarrassed about the word of God. You shouldn't be. You should take pride in what you're doing. You should be glad for what you're doing because what you're doing is spreading the gospel, working for the Lord. If anyone should be ashamed, it should be those who present false gospel, who, pre- or who bring out false teachings. John MacArthur words it so strongly. He says, let me put it simply. Anyone who misrepresents, who misrepresents who ignores or detracts from God's word by giving false teaching or confusing people with useless human reason has cause to be ashamed. No matter how many degrees you have or how many PhDs or how smart you think you are, if you violate the word of God or misrepresent its glorious truth, you have every reason to stand before God in shame. And you should feel painfully the consciousness of having done something dishonorably, and that is mishandling God's precious word. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. The ones who should be ashamed are those who try to twist it and try to make it fit whatever they want it to fit. And you should not feel that way because this is the word of truth. Ephesians 1.13, And you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And so we are to handle the word of truth correctly this phrase to handle the word it literally means to cut straight to cut straight just like those who plow a field they plow it straight you don't see them zigzagging throughout the field no they plow straight those who cut you know a, a cutting board you cut it straight think about paul for a second he was a leather worker a tent maker To make tents, he would have to cut the pieces of leather to fit the tent, and he would have to cut correctly to make sure everything would fit together. And so we are to take the word of God, to handle it correctly, and that means to cut straight, to cut straight with the word of God, to tell it as it is, to tell, us, or to tell people what the word of God says directly. This is what the word of God says in its context, in its form, and how it is written. This is the word of God, and we are to handle it correctly. We are to handle it, to cut straight with it. And here's the truth. Many today choose not to. They choose not to. They choose to distort it. They choose to twist it. They choose to pick and choose from it, which they want to believe and which they want to toss out. But we are told to handle it correctly, to cut straight with the word of God. And that is why we should listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience and the sight of God. And so we should be workers approved by God who handle the word of God correctly. And he goes on in verses 16 through 19, and he says, Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Heminius and Philtus, who have departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. And he says in verse 16, avoid godless chatter. This word godless chatter, it means to, uh, to pull away from uh, profane talking, profane words, profane utterances. If something is godless, it's likely profane. It's not good for edifying. It's not good for building up. And he says, avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. The more and more people listen to these things, these false doctrines, these false teachings, the more and more that they listen to these things, engage in these things, the more ungodly they become. And that's the sad truth is so many people today in our churches are listening to false doctrines, listening to false teaching, and it is why so many churches are starting to affirm things that we know are sinful, things that the Word of God says are sin. The church is starting to affirm these things and say, it's okay if we believe in these things. And people are being led astray, and it says that it is spreading. It's spreading like gangrene. What is gangrene? If you didn't know, it's a gangrene, it's the death of body tissue, and it's due to a lack of blood flow or a serious bacterial infection. If it's left untreated, it can spread to other parts of the body, and in really serious cases, it could cause amputation. And the thing is, is this, Paul likens this gangrene to what can happen in the church. If false teaching is not stopped, it can spread quickly, and over time it causes much pain. And so Paul gives an example of this. There were two guys, Heminius and Philtus. They were preachers. They were preachers who were led astray who were led astray by silly arguments and false teachings. They were led astray, and they started to teach that the resurrection had already taken place. It says that they had departed from the truth, that the resurrection had already taken place, and they destroyed the faith of some. You know, nothing is known about philtus. Hymenius—it's probably the same one that's mentioned in First Timothy. In First 1 Timothy 1.20, it says, "Among them are Hymenius and Alexander, whom I've handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme." And they were going, and they were teaching that the resurrection had already taken place. You see, they believed that the resurrection was simply a spiritual thing, or it was an idea of moving from a plane of no knowledge to becoming enlightened. That was what it meant to be resurrected. I was resurrected in knowledge. I've been enlightened. Why is this important? Well... To say that the resurrection has already taken place would mean that they're taking it to be a spiritual thing and not a physical thing. And Paul is telling us there was going to be a future physical resurrection. Someday, if we choose to believe, if we put our faith in him, we will be resurrected from our earthly bodies into a heavenly body. It will be a physical resurrection. And to say that the resurrection has already taken place and it's simply spiritual would mean that there is no physical resurrection. And if there is no physical resurrection, then that means that jesus did not resurrect from the grave and if jesus did not resurrect from the grave then the faith that we profess and the faith that we claim is meaningless because that is the basis for our faith if jesus didn't rise from the dead if he didn't complete the work then there is no faith that is true for us it hinges on that and paul says the same thing in 1 corinthians 15 12 through 14 he says, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. All of it is meaningless, meaningless if he didn't raise from the grave. And because of this, because of this teaching, some who were weak in their faith were being led astray. Their faith was being destroyed, taken away. But Paul gives a little bit of encouragement, a little bit of hope here in verse 19. He says, Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm. It's sealed with this inscription, The Lord knows who are His, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. God's solid, uh, solid foundation stands firm. What is God's solid foundation? Well, it's the church. The church is the solid foundation. And it's marked with a seal. What is a seal? A seal is a mark of ownership. For there to be a seal on something, that's the mark of ownership. Who that belongs to. The church belongs to Christ. We are the bride of Christ. And on it, there is a stamp. And on the stamp, it reads, the Lord knows who is his. This is an instance where Paul is calling back to Numbers chapter 16, verse 5. Then he said to Korah and all his followers in the morning, the Lord will show who belongs to him and who is holy, and he will have that person come near him. The man he chooses, he will cause to come near him. The Lord knows who is his. The Lord knows who have given their life to him, who have put their faith and trust in him. The Lord knows who belongs to him. But also it says everyone who confesses the Lord must turn from wickedness. If you profess the faith in the lord if you confess the lord then you have to turn from your wickedness and sometimes we stumble and sometimes we fall but there's a difference between a stumble and a fall and a a habitual we continue to live in these things we know we should not live in and this is important because it leads us in the verses 20 and 21 and verses in 20, 20 and 21 it says this in a large house there are articles not only of gold and silver but also of wood and clay Some are for special purposes and some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. So uh, Paul takes this, what he was just saying about uh, the foundation, you know, God's foundation, the church still standing, and it has a seal, and on the seal is the stamp. And so now he takes it and he uses this metaphor of there's a house And in this large house, there's articles of gold and silver. There are these vessels of gold and silver. And these would be used for special occasions. They were honorable vessels. These would be the things they would use to serve food on. And these would be pulled out in the most special of situations. But then there was wood and clay vessels. These were things that were everyday use. Cups, jars, pitchers you know just as an honorable gold and silver vessel would be used to bring out food a wooden and clay vessel would be used to throw away the scraps you know these gold and silver vessels were something special they were honorable wooden clay vessels these were just things used each and every day they weren't they weren't special there was nothing special about them they were just ordinary and the message that Paul is telling Timothy here is to be, this is the church, right? The church is the the house in which he's talking about. And in the house of God, in the church, there are those who are gold and silver vessels. They're honorable. They're honorable in what they say and what they do and the things they teach and the way they act and live. But then there are those who are in the church who are wooden and clay vessels who aren't being used by God. They're not... Fulfilling their purpose, they're just, you know, there. And Paul is telling Timothy to be an honorable vessel. Be an honorable vessel. Be one that is used by God, that is important, that's special. He says in verse 21, those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes Made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Now we're talking about observing the scripture in its context, and we need to do that here. He says, "Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments." What is the latter? Well, the latter are those who are not gold and silver vessels; those who are not honorable vessels. He's telling Timothy here, Timothy, you need to avoid these people. You need to avoid these people in the church who are spreading false doctrine, false teaching. You need to avoid these people. And you may think, man, that's, that's harsh to, to say, hey, don't associate, don't fellowship, don't be in the presence of these who claim uh, to be a believer, but yet they don't live by it. They don't teach it. They are teaching false things or living by false doctrine. Psalm 1 tells us, blessed are those who do not walk in the counsel of the wicked, Paul tells us that a little little yeast can spread a lot. Scripture tells us when you take it to somebody who's not living the way they should and they refuse to change their life, you tell them over and over again, eventually you get to a point where you say you have to leave. And so what Paul is telling Timothy here is simply this. You've got to avoid these people because all they're going to do is cause dissension, arguments, false doctrine, these things to spread. And this is important because he continues in the text, verse 22 through 26. He says, flee from the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Flee from youthful desires. You see, at this time, you know, Timothy was most likely in his mid to late 30s, possibly early 40s. Paul, in this time, was probably 30 years uh, older than Timothy, and so Paul is telling Timothy, hey, I was young once. I know what youthful desires there are. I know what youthful traps and snares there are. And it's not even just what we usually tend to think of as uh, something sexual, which lust is a, definitely a thing uh, that is a big problem. But it's more than that. Greed, envy, all of these things, these youthful desires. Paul's telling Timothy, hey, you have to flee from these youthful desires. Flee from these things because these things will trap you. They will ensnare you. They will knock you down if you do not pay attention to them. And so instead he tells him, flee. And by the way, this word flee means to be a fugitive. A fugitive. Be a fugitive of these things. Flee from these things. Hide from these things. Be avoiding these things. Instead, pursue these things. Righteousness. Righteousness. It's just this idea of living according to the standard of God's word, the standard that has been set for us. And faith of righteousness is living by the standard that God has called us to. Faith is putting our faith in him who has called us to live by this standard. Live by faith. And he says, live by love and peace. Love others. Show peace in your heart. Be peaceful. He says, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So he tells them, do these things on your own, but not just on your own, but with other believers, with other brothers and sisters. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 remind us and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And he says, avoid stupid arguments, foolish and stupid arguments, because you know they produce quarrels. Man, I'll never forget, I was a sophomore in Bible college when the uh, movie The Da Vinci Code came out. And I remember when the Da Vinci Code came out, they said, this is going to be the thing that destroys the church. If you don't know the story of the Da Vinci Code in this story, this archaeologist finds out um, you know uncovers this giant plot that the church has been trying to hide uh, the truth, and that is that Jesus went to the cross, was taken down, was still alive, was thrown in the tomb, was taken out of the tomb, and he went off and was married to Mary Magdalene, and they had kids, and this was going to be the thing because in the beginning of the book, and the before you even get into the story, it says all these things are truth they 're based on true events. And I remember them saying, this is going to be the thing that destroys the church. And people got into this. They got into the argument. They got into the the fighting about it. And some people started to think, man, maybe is this actually true? Was Jesus really married to Mary Magdalene? Did they really have kids? Did he really get out of the tomb? Is this all true? And people bought the lies of these foolish and stupid arguments. And, today, and you know, Paul is telling Timothy, avoid these things, these foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. They produce arguments. They produce fights and conversations that don't need to take place. And he goes, they, pre- they present quarrels. And he goes, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. If you're going to be a servant of the Lord, you must not be quarrelsome. You must not be one who is given to arguments and fighting. But no, instead you're to be kind. You're to be a kind person. Ephesians 4.32 reminds us, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. He tells them you must be able to teach. Anyone who wants to be a worker for God must be able to teach. And you may not be a teacher of Sunday school or you may not be a teacher on Wednesday night or you may not be a teacher on Sunday mornings, but you teach, you teach your kids, you teach your families, you teach your friends. We must be able to teach. Titus 1, nine. he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. He says we're not to be resentful. We're not to be resentful. This is that idea that we don't become bitter with someone who's opposing us. Some may disagree with what we profess. Some may disagree with the truth that we hold in our hands. Some may disagree with the words that we proclaim. And if we become bitter with somebody because of their disagreement, if we become bitter with what people say because they don't agree with us, then how in the world will we ever continue to share the gospel with them if we're just bitter with them? And so he tells them, don't be resentful. And instead, you must be gentle. They must be taught gently. Opponents must be gently instructed. You see, Jewish and many Gentile teachers believed in gentle instruction as compared to many of the cynics who would insult their hearers. When they were speaking to their hearers, they would insult them. They would make fun of them. That really doesn't seem to do a lot of good, does it? And so we're to be gentle. And the reason for this The goal for Timothy in this is that people would hear the word of God and God would grant them repentance. I love this saying, God would grant them repentance because too often we think that we can just, you know, it's just whenever I want, okay, I'm going to repent now. But I think what Paul is telling Timothy here in this idea of granting them repentance is that they could hear the word of God and because they've heard the word of God and because they've heard the truth, God is granting them the opportunity. Now that you've heard my word, now that you've heard truth, you have the ability to repent. I am granting you the opportunity to repent. It's something that God grants them, the ability to repent. And that they will come to their senses and they will flee from the devil who has taken them captive. And the only way for them to get out of the snare, the, the trap that the devil has set for them, is by the grace of God. Ephesians 2, 8-9, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast. And this is very important, what he's been telling Timothy here. Don't fall into these meaningless arguments. Don't listen to these stupid and foolish talks. Don't listen to this quarreling and arguing about false teaching. Don't, don't associate with this. And there's a reason why. And the reason why comes in uh, verses 1 through 5 of chapter 3. It says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. And in the last days, Second Peter 3.3, 3, above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. And here's the truth. We've been living in the last days since the foundation of the church. We are living in the last days. And as you read this list, it's not hard to see how some of these things, a lot of these things, probably all of these things, are taking place today. People very much are lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient, ungrateful, unholy. All these things we see so much of today, and it's all around us, that there's a couple that stand out to me. It's, for instance, it says they will love pleasure over God. They will love their own pleasure over God. They will love money over God. They will love uh, whatever, you know, their desires over God. Their, uh, you know, the, the things they do. They'll love all of these things over God. And then he says that they will have a form of godliness but denying its power. It's this idea that they're going to they're gonna say, hey, I love God, I, I'm a believer, I'm a believer, but yet all it is is doing is putting a veil over their face because what they're really doing is they're loving all of these evil things that have been listed and they're living for these things and they're following these things and they say, hey, guess what? I love God, I'm a believer, I love God, but yet they're going to continue to live in sin. In Titus 1.16, Paul says this, They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. There are people who say, I proclaim, I proclaim. But yet in their lifestyle, the things they choose to live for, the sin they choose to advocate for, the sin that they choose to live in, Shows that they do not believe. Because we know, we've, we've been told in Scripture, we have signs how you can tell somebody who believes by the way they live, by the way they act, by the fruits of the spirit that they produce. We know somebody who is genuine and someone who is not. And then he tells Paul, you need to avoid, have nothing to do with such people. This this is important for a couple of reasons. One, the fact that Paul is writing this to Timothy shows that these type of people are already around him. He's not saying, hey, someday in the future these things are going to happen. No, he's telling him these things are already happening now. These people are already living around you now. You need to avoid them so you do not get swayed in by them. You don't get suckered in by them. And Paul is telling Timothy, avoid those who claim to be believers but are out refusing to live like it and are leading people astray. This is the second time he's told Timothy in this passage, avoid these people have nothing to do with these people. The people you surround yourself with, if they are not choosing to listen to the word of God, to handle the word of God correctly, you need to stay away from them because eventually, if you are not careful, they will cause problems, they will cause dissension, and they can cause you to start to lose your focus. Avoid them. And then in verses 6 through 9, he goes in a little further. He says they are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses so also these teachers oppose the truth they are men of depraved minds who are as far as the faith is concerned are rejected but they will not get very far because as is the case with men their folly will be clear to everyone He says that these are people who worm their way into homes. They're con men, they're swindlers who prey on weak-willed women. And these women were most likely widows, as the only women who could be able to own their own home in this time period was widows. And women would be preyed on because the scripture tells us that they were considered gullible. And the reason they were considered gullible is because they did not have the same educational opportunities that men had. And not only are they considered gullible, but these are women that had sin in their past. They were weighed down with sin, and it says that they were swayed by all kinds of evil desires. So on top of their sinful life, on top of the sins of their past, they also had these false teachings coming at them. And Paul says that they were always learning, but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. And that is such a profound statement that Paul makes right there. Always learning, but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. What does this mean? Well, what this means is that they were hearing all of these different things all these different worldviews, all, uh, all these new things that were being taught. They were hearing the, the new fad of the week. One week it was this fad, the next week it was this fad, and they're hearing all of these things and they're listening to all of these things. Really, what the best way I've ever heard it put is that they were so open-minded that their brains could fall out because they were willing to listen to every little thing that came across them. And so while they were greatly learned of all of the things that they were hearing, they never once learned the truth. They never once learned the truth, because in all the things they were listening to, in all the things that were being fed to them, they never actually listened to the truth, the gospel. They never took the time to hear what it said. And so these men took advantage of these ladies. These ladies. Scripture teaches us as Christians we're not to do that. We're to be different. 1 Timothy 5, 1 through 2, Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. And then he talks about these, a couple of people, Janus and Jambres. These were people who opposed Moses. And we don't see their names in uh, the story of Moses, but many believe that this was Pharaoh's magicians who would, opposed, uh, who would have opposed Moses. Exodus 7.11, Pharaoh then summoned wise men and sorcerers and the Egyptian magicians. That can be a tongue twister if you say that fast. Egyptian magicians but were, and the Egyptian magicians who also did the same things by their secret arts. Exodus 8, 7, but the magicians did the same things by their secret arts. They also made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. And so just as they opposed Moses with their magic tricks that they thought would be able to reproduce the same things that God was doing through Moses, they were opposing him. And here's the thing. Paul tells Timothy, just as they try to oppose Moses, guess what? These teachers oppose the truth. False teachers oppose the truth. They oppose the truth because it doesn't fit what they want it to fit. It doesn't fit what they want it to say. And so they'll oppose the truth. They're men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. They're rejected. Someday they're going to have to stand before God. They're rejected because of their beliefs, because of their views and what they are teaching people. But Again, Paul gives a little encouragement, but they will not get very far. Because as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. And the truth is this, you know, we can think that, hey, we can, we can do whatever we want. We'll never get in trouble for it. False teachers can think, hey, I can do what I want. I'll say what I want. I'll never get, a, I'll, I'll get away with it. But Numbers thirty two twenty three says this, but if you fail to do this, you will be sinning against the Lord. And you may be sure that your sin will find you out. Everything you do, you do before God. All these things that are being taught are being taught before God. And Paul tells Timothy, guess what? These will eventually be dealt with. And so he gives them a long list. Man, be weary of false teachings. Be weary, or weary of false teachers. They quarrel. They argue. They they put out this opinion they put out these false doctrines and people are being led astray but you don't do these things don't engage in these type of things handle the word of god correctly handle the truth correctly and so he goes into verse 10 in second timothy chapter 3 verse 10 in verses 10 through 13 he tells him this you however know all about my teaching My way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, suffering. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? The persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So Paul is telling Timothy here, hey, I've been telling you about all these false teachers and these false, like, watch out for these guys. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at my life. I want you to look at my example. Look at the things that I have taught. Look at the love that I've had for you and, and the people in the church. Look at my purpose and what I've done and how I have worked hard to present the gospel. Look at my faith, my endurance, my suffering. Paul suffered a lot for his faith in Antioch Iconium Lystra he faced persecution he tells Timothy that guess what if you share the word if you do what you're supposed to if you preach the word correctly if you handle it correctly and there are those false teachers who don't like it guess what you're going to be persecuted for standing up for what is right for standing up for what is true if you handle the word of God correctly if you make it straight if you say what is in it if you say what you know to be true people will go against you it's the truth because if you live according to the word of God, you are going to go against things that you know the scripture tells you are sin. And we will love the people, but we cannot in the church affirm sin. And when we do that, the world is not going to like what we have to say. But Jesus warned us of this, John fifteen eighteen. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. And guess what? Here's the truth. evil evildoers and imposters will continue to get worse. And this is the same thing today. There are going to be those who continue to spread false doctrine. There are going to be those who continue to be led astray by false doctrine. There are going to be those who continue to watch little snippets of video that are taken out of context and say, I just want to listen to this because it makes me feel good. And don't get me wrong. Scripture does encourage. Scripture does encourage give us moments to be happy about our relationship with God. But sometimes scripture does cut out our hearts and tell us what we need to fix and what we need to change in our life. And sometimes that's not easy. But here's the thing. Sad truth is there's still gonna be those today who continue to spread false gospels and false truths and they're gonna continue to be deceived and they're gonna continue to deceive. But then he tells them in verse 14, he tells Timothy in 14 through 17, he says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from an infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scriptures God breathed in is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Timothy, as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of because you know from whom you have learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures that make you wise for salvation. He's telling Timothy, hey, remember the words that I've taught you. Remember the words that I've spoke to you about the gospel but not just from me, think about the, where you have learned the word of God. You see, Timothy can think back to all of his knowledge of scripture because from a very young age, scripture was put into his mind, was put into his heart, was engraved in him because of the people in his life. Timothy's mother, Timothy's grandmother poured into him the word of God. Second Timothy 1.5 I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Parents, I hope you don't mind me saying this and encouraging you in this. I know if you've got kids who are in athletics and, and all these events, activities, all of these things that are going on, life is busy But I would encourage you, make sure your kids know the Word of God. Make sure that your kids have the Word of God poured into them. Make sure it's ingrained in them. Teach them the Word of God. Teach them what it means. Teach them why it's so important. Teach them this in its context and and help them to handle the Word of God correctly. Because for Timothy... From a young age, his mother, his grandmother poured in him the word of God. And when Paul finds Timothy, he pours into him about the gospel. And then he tells him, because the holy scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation, but not only that, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for teaching what is right and what is wrong to help him discern. It's useful for rebuking. The word of God rebukes. It rebukes us, it rebukes those around us, it rebukes those who read it because sometimes we, well, not sometimes, we are always sinful people. We stumble, we fall, we make mistakes and sometimes we need the word of God to rebuke us, to remind us that we are to live differently and it helps us to correct us, to correct our thinking, to correct our flaws and to train us in righteousness. It trains us to live the way we should live so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I like how Smith Wigglesworth, such a great name, by the way. I like how he words it. There are four principles we need to maintain. First, we need to read read the word of God. Second, consume the word of God until it consumes you. Third, believe the word of God. And fourth, act on the word. Man, we are to read the word, consume the word, and let it consume us. We are to believe in the word, and then we are to act on the word. And so here we have it. Why do we need to observe the word of God in its context and handle it correctly? Because there are so many today who choose not to. And hear me on this. I say this because I want us to be a church that handles the word of God correctly. I want us to be a people who takes this word and we handle it the way it's meant to be handled and we read it in its context, we observe it and we study it and we put in the work and we're diligent in knowing what it says. You can't just read the word of God for 20 seconds and say, "I'm okay, I'm good now. No, it takes work, it takes effort, it takes diligence in getting into the word of God and studying the word. And you see, it's not just my job. It's not just Cody's job. It's not just anybody who teaches here. It's not our job to just to do all the studying and then tell you and then you're good. No, you have to study the word of God. You have to get into it. You have to dig into it. You have to go and work hard and diligently in getting into the word. And how do you do that? Well, there's things that you can use. There's commentaries, there's concordances, there's websites that you can use. Uh, I love BibleRef.com. I love GotQuestions.com. So many great uh, resources you can use. I use a software on my computer called Logos. And you can get a bunch of free commentaries and concordances and maps to help you study. And if you're curious, what are some resources? Come find me. I'd love to share what resources I use. But we need to be observing the word of God, and we need to handle the word of God correctly, because in the word of God, we have truth. And there are people today who are trying to distort the truth, trying to twist it, mishandle it, cherry pick it to make it fit what they want it to fit. And that is not what we are called to do. And so I'm going to ask the worship team to come up this morning. And as they do, maybe you're here and you're thinking, man, I, I want to handle the word of God correctly, but the truth is I'm not really in the word of God, and the truth is I've never really actually believed. I've never given my faith to him. And if that's the case, you can do that this morning. You can put your faith in him. You can put your trust in him. You can give your life to him. Or maybe you're here this morning and you're reading 2 Timothy Chapter 2, 14 through 3, 17, and you're thinking, man, too often I've gotten involved in things that were silly, silly arguments, serious, you know, silly debates. I got into arguments about things that just didn't matter, and I was listening to these things, and I, man, I've gotten away from handling the Word of God correctly. And if that's the case this morning, you can lay these things at the feet of God. You can lay these things at the feet of God and you can spend some time talking with him right where you're sitting. If you want to pray, I would love to pray with you. And let us do this. Let us observe the word of God. Let us handle the word of God correctly because in the word of God, it gives us knowledge of what is true. And don't be led astray by silly arguments or silly things, opinion, false doctrine. Check what be like the Bereans. The Bereans, they checked everything that Paul said to see if what he said was true. If something doesn't sound true to you, look in the Word of God, see what it says. Let us be people who observe the Word of God, study the Word of God so that we know how to handle the Word of God. So if you're here this morning and you have a decision to make, I pray that you would do so as we stand and we sing.